You're listening to the 401 Access Denied Podcast. I'm Mike Rowan, VP of Engineering and CISO at Cyberary. Please join me and my co-host, Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist at Thycotic, as we discuss the latest news and attempt to make cybersecurity accessible, usable, and fun. Be sure to check back every two weeks for new episodes. Hi, everyone. My name is Joseph Carson, and welcome to another episode of 401 Access Denied, a bi-weekly podcast, which is always focusing around the topics of internet security, safety, technology, and lots of fun. And I'm here based in town, Estonia, and the chief security scientist of Iconic. And we have a fantastic episode for you today. We've got a really special guest, which we'll introduce shortly. And I'm going to pass over to my co-host and awesome uh, Mike Gruen, MG. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us. Yep. Mike Ruin, uh, VP of Engineering and CISO here at Cyberary in DC. And as Joe said, we're joined today by Jessica Aro. Um, Jessica, why don't you give a, a brief introduction and maybe a little bit of, uh, of background about you yourself? Thank you so much. And thank you for having me here. It's such an honor. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Um, I'm a journalist. I'm originally um investigative journalist, and I specialized in Russia, information warfare, and extremism. And I started to investigate Russian trolls in 2014, and that really changed my life. Um, But I also uh, have found out a lot of really crucially important uh, information about the Russian trolls, uh, which brings me here today, I believe. That's what you're most interested in. Absolutely. And I mean, we've got similar you know, backgrounds. You're based in Finland, I'm based in Tallinn, Estonia. And, you know, even prior to, to your experience, you know, in Estonia, we have had experience back even in 2007. And even post when I came to Estonia and it was kind of, what's it, around 2003, that even at that time, Estonia was kind of, it was still in between that mixed mode. It was still so a lot of ties to, to Russia in regards to trade and economics and politics but it was still moving in a different direction. It was moving towards more Western. It was becoming more, you know, uh, was it tied to Finland and Sweden and Norway? And of course, then, if, you know, back in 2007, um, the political, you know, cyber war that happened in Estonia, um, all because of a statue getting moved from one location to another, caused a lot of disruption. And we've also seen that in the likes of Georgia and Ukraine, is that when there's any type of political or any type of economical that you do find that, you know, we do have a big noisy neighbor, and they tend to use, you know, the current technology capabilities today in order to create a lot of disruptions, whether that's interfering with politics, whether it's trying to even just, you know, put bad images on people, individuals or government officials or companies. Um, We've seen a lot of it in regards to Olympics and sports. We've seen, you know, even recently, of course, with the uh, uh, sanctions and indictments on, you know, came down to basically with the Olympics, uh, uh, past Olympics, that they had been targeted and it came down to, to, to Russia, of course, because of the, the, the bans that they had. Um, so we do find that, you know, there is a lot of similarities in, in our backgrounds. And, and when I first met you, when I think it was around 2015, when you were telling the story, I was so intrigued. And I think it's really important, especially in today, especially when many of us are connected through social, you know, especially even, you know, working remotely and people being home. Um, that we tend to be using the social sphere around us, the technology in order to stay connected. And a lot of it can be done for good, but it can also be really abused. It can actually really impact people's lives. So, you know, it kind of gives it, before you end up, you know, before you did the, the kind of, let's say the investigation that led to, to 
um, your experience. What were you doing? What was what was your role in Finland? You know, what, what was your job and 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 what your background? Right. So I was a journalist, really a basic journalist, and I was pretty much very worried about what was going on in Ukraine. In mm-hmm. back in 2014, uh, Russia was already waging its secret warfare in Ukraine, and as I had seen before in previous conflicts, for example, the Russian Georgian War. Uh, 2008. I had no. I noticed the same thing. There is so much propaganda. There is so much falsifications. It's really difficult for even a journalist who, you know, we are supposed to be the professionals in filtering what is true and what is not true and what is propaganda and what is political messaging. What is actually taking place mm-hmm. in the soil of Ukraine? So I was pretty much trying to figure that out because I am. Uh, because of I'm a journalist, I have to tell people what is actually going on. I have to know. So even for me, it was overwhelming, as it was for many other journalists. And during that uh, autumn 2014, I read super interesting reports made previously by independent, super courageous Russian critical journalists mm-hmm who had written in Russian media, there are still some free Russian medias, so they had already a year prior, they had written this so fascinating article. They had infiltrated in St. Petersburg, so not so far from Estonia, not so far from Mm -hmm. Finland, only a couple hundred of kilometers. Um, uh, They had infiltrated this weird office in which they were being paid to put up fake profiles and anonymous profiles and blogs, which were seemingly written um, by normal, everyday, opinionated citizens who are basically promoting Putin and Putin's policies. But they were getting a salary for it. So these brave journalists, they exposed it. They made um, uh, articles in Russian media. And I read those articles and I was fascinated and terrified at the same time because I knew what you were saying about this international impact and influence. I was worried, what do these so-called trolls, as the Russians uh, named them, <laughs> what are they specifically doing online? We, we still didn't have much information. What kind of techniques do they use? And do they have impact in real people, even outside Russia? We also have Russian speakers in Finland. So who knew? Were they also impacted? So that was what um, led me into my investigations. Me not, you know, feeling so secure about reporting about the <laughs> war in Ukraine and me wanting to know what, what is this new phenomenon of, of so-called troll mm-hmm. factory and how does it influence people or does it influence people? Absolutely. So what did you find out? I'm curious. I mean, what is, I, I, I mean, like, that's the big question, right? What is the influence that they have on people? What, how were you able to, to, were you able to figure any of that out? Yeah. So this is what I started to look into. I basically, my method was to basically put out a crowdsourcing article mm-hmm. in which I asked people, the internet users to help me investigate. Um, so I, uh, I I told the basic information of the troll factor, what we already knew that was taking place and what was happening already. And I asked specifically people to let me know whether they had witnessed such uh, troll uh, activity online. And if yes, in which channels and specifically how had real Finnish people reacted to these propaganda troll activities. 
that's one way of trying to figure out the actual impact. And so I started to receive messages and I started to receive contacts. And in the end, I ended up exchanging emails, getting hints and tips or interviewing around 200 people who are either normal internet users or mm-hmm. um, moderators of uh, regular media's comment sections, also filled with trolls. Uh, or very interestingly, for example, a moderator of the biggest Russian-speaking discussion forum in Finland, the Russian.fi. So mm-hmm. I spoke with all these people. I followed so many tips and hints, and I found out that there was indeed impact. And the impact was uh, that some people, um, because the, one of the troll techniques is to attack individual internet mm-hmm. users after they voice out opinions or information about Russia. So these people who become attacked, they become scared and they stop discussing Russia issues completely. So the troll gets into their target. Also, some people got really confused. What is happening, really? For example, in Ukraine, because trolls were spreading so much disinformation about it. And also some people turned into propagandists. But then there was other group of people who told that there was no impact whatsoever. So, But the thing that worried me the, uh, the most Uh, was that the trolls had already back then influenced the Finnish public debates of Mm -hmm. Russia. That's interesting, because one of the things I find as well is that, you know, back in 2007, there was, then it was much more, it wasn't, there was a lot of political propaganda, mostly from a media perspective, but wasn't really at that stage, I didn't find it on social media. You would have, um, I I did remember that, you know, of course, in Estonia is a large Russian-speaking population as well. And they would be individually communicating and, and there was protests, there was riots as well. Um, but it was limited to, to people. People were getting involved. And one thing is kind of, you know, and then it was also cyber attack. It was actually offensive you know, types of attacks. It was bringing down news organizations, defacing websites. And I think really what it got into Georgia was the first probably place that it started really getting into much more of a information propaganda you know, type of offensive capability. And then once it started moving into Ukraine, Ukraine was really that base grind of actually really, you know, starting it to being, you know, a, a tactical weapon in many regards that it was actually being then used. And since then, it's just been excelled. And I think to your point as well is that, you know, in the past, probably prior to, to those events, it was probably being used mostly as an internal control within countries to, you know, that was used to, you know, control people, control media, you know, even I remember, you know, is, is that when you control the education, you control the media, you control the TV, you control the news, then what you really do is you control the people, you control the conversation. And what I've really seen is that, you know, when you shared your story, um, that it really started saying that that has now moved beyond the borders. It's moved beyond just trying to control your own people, but it's trying to influence outside and influences. And it did start with neighboring countries. It started with countries that were close to home. And what we've even seen is that that has now expanded into other countries of influence, you know, whether being trying to, um, you know, I, I do you know, feel that you know, we've had many discussions, Mike, on things like the elections. Well, at least, right, at least Russia is staying out of the U.S. elections. We know that for a fact. <laughs> we, they're definitely not involved here. <laughs> yeah, it's a hoax. <laughs> yes, <Or>. it's fake. <laughs> so. but, but ultimately, what I've, what I've come to realize, in, and after a lot of discussions, is that it's not... It's not about trying to influence an outcome. Is the outcome itself is to polarize countries, is to put them into the spiraling effect of actually having them fighting internally. 
Well, and, that's if you could just yeah. so that and that's what I was thinking when you when you were talking, um, Jessica, about some people feeling like there was no influence and some people feeling like there was like that's perfect, right? Because then you actually get a division because then you have people who can't even relate. You're just sort of, and we're seeing it in the US too, where the, the two sides just can't relate to each other because one side doesn't see any of the influence and one side see, you know, they or both sides see the influences on themselves, but not on each other. And so you get that division and then, and that's like perfect. That's exactly what you want is it to sort of go, go unnoticed by a certain segment of the population um, for maximum, you know, impact. Um, so, so I thought that was really interesting that you sort of yeah. found that very early on. That so, too. So, so, mm. Go ahead, Jessica. Go ahead. I would like to add to what Joseph uh, earlier said about first uh, internal control and then international. Let me tell tell you what we found when we also went to the troll factory. Well, we weren't let in, but we went to investigate it in 2015, February. Uh, while I was still doing the, the original investigation. It was super interesting because, um, of course, the place itself, uh, it doesn't say that it, it's, you know, Troll Factory. It uh, calls itself the Internet Research Agency. It's a company that um, uh, investigates public opinion and whatever. And they were recruiting people. And, of course, they were not recruiting these, you know, social media propaganda trolls interfering for foreign elections, yet they were recruiting on just, you know, your everyday, normal, regular recruiting sites in Russian. They were looking for people as, for example, graphic designers and copywriters and social media managers. and they would prefer that those people would, of course, know Russian language, but also English. Mm -hmm. And they would be able to work in uh, 12-hour shifts, also during nighttime. So, yeah. So we actually, we called there. We pretended that we are someone who wants to work there. So we called there and we asked, what kind of material do you want me to Mm -hmm. produce if I come to work there? And they told it themselves the recruiter lady, political, also news. So already back in 2015, there was English language, political mm-hmm. influencing operation underway. And as uh, me and my, especially, especially my colleague, interviewed these original Russian journalists who uh, had worked there before, uh, one of them said that uh, she was back in 2013 still writing only in Russian language. But she was writing obscenities about Russian opposition politicians and obscenities mm-hmm. about U.S. citizens. So, but this was for Russian audience. Right. But then yeah. in two years, it had already evolved into international. international. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, you know, the, the, those, you know, Georgia and Ukraine probably had a lot of impact in that, that factor into, but within Ukraine, of course, it is a, a still a Russian-speaking, you know, uh, majority population. There's still a large Russian speaking there. So, of course, Russian language would still be, but having English does mean it's moving kind of beyond uh, those closing you know, border countries to being more European and more US based. Do you also see them sort of using that influence to then, once they sort of have these people who, with whom you know, they have influence, changing them into basically working for them as agents unwittingly? Like, where now I don't even have to, I have this whole population of, secondary trolls that I don't even have to pay. I just have to feed them some information. And, yeah. and that's really where the, like the sort of snowball effect happens because right people trust those people and so on and so forth. It's, yeah, um, yes. 
almost like botnet. It's a botnet of real people. Yeah, yeah zombies. So exa- exactly. It's like mm. uh, these Russian trolls, they turn real people into Russian trolls eventually. Mm. Right. Uh, as I referred earlier to the some part of the population who accepts these troll um, falsifications as the truth and starts sharing them further on. And it's not even so rare to see even, you know, high-profile, influential, supposedly intelligent people in uh, society sharing fake news Mm. and um, troll materials further on. So it was quite alarming to see it, even in a country with high degree of high education. I mean, seriously, we in Finland, we have free universities and there are still highly educated people who already back then were sharing these troll materials and fake news. Right. And I think, though, that that's an interest the the whole notion of like trust is an interesting thing when it comes to humans. Right. There's no way that you or I or anyone can do all of the research on all of the things and really get into it. So you have to start trusting people. You know, I'm I'm listening to you and you're talking to me about this, you know, the Russian troll factory. I I have to, you know, at some level, I have to take your word for certain things unless I'm going to go through the entire process that you went through. And I think and I actually wonder sometimes if societies that have that sort of higher education and where you sort of are learning and trusting and you have, you know, I wonder if it's actually that they're more susceptible to it because you have this notion of um, trusted sources and intelligent friends and this like network of people with whom you've just learned to trust. And it doesn't really take very much for one person to get, you know, to sort of influence that and, and take advantage of that. And I wonder if that's what also causes some, some of the breakdown. That's an interesting uh, theory. I <laughs> I specifically didn't research that because there are also many other factors which are uh, in play uh, when it comes to individual citizens' ability or individual citizens' resistance towards uh, propaganda and uh, brainwashing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, here in Finland, in uh, Estonia, Baltic countries, generally many Eastern European countries, Parts, part, especially parts of the populations are super resilient mm-hmm. because they still know, know their grandfathers and grandmothers or mothers and fathers' stories mm-hmm. about the Soviet occupation, about the Soviet mm-hmm. uh, aggression, about the Soviet propaganda followed by Soviet aggression. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, sti- we who still remember, uh, we can also more easily then uh, n- notice when something similar is again happening. Right. No, that makes total sense. Right. I mean, I think, right, there's that sort of healthy skepticism. And, you know, it's one of those things, Joe and I talk about a little bit a time and again about in the United States. In the United States, there's just this total healthy skepticism of the U.S. government. You always, you know, like, it's just bred into like everything about how the government started is like, you know, like be skeptical of the people in power. And so, you have, <clears throat> I think you have this an, a, a sort of different dynamic because I don't think we have the same propaganda. And so we're looking for alternate sources of information and have this healthy skepticism towards what should be actually a truth factory, but we're skeptical of them and look for alternates. And so I think the US in some ways might also be more susceptible than say other countries that have lived through what you're talking about, which is right, the actual propaganda machines and and you know that can you know can be passed on. That's that's an interesting point. And there is a challenge, Mike. I think one of the things is that in in a lot of countries outside of the U.S. is that the uh, let's say the inter interaction between the government and the citizens is much greater. Uh, the U.S. seems to be sometimes in the past that used to be an autopilot. You used to have the government kind of manage itself, and you'd have the Congress, and you'd have 
part of justice meant to oversee each other. So it had them all basically operating. So it allowed the citizens to take a back seat and actually focus on what they were doing. Um, in other countries, they tend to be a lot more kind of interactive. And there's sometimes a lot more parties. There was a lot more closer um, elections in the U.S. It's always that two kind of two-party race. Right. And one of the things that I kind of get back to is just one of the things as well as for me, you know, the internet tools has been around for as long as I've been, you know, on the internet, <laughs> which goes back a long time. And you'd have, you know, in the early days, you'd have name, there was name trolls. It was basically just people who, who that was what they actually enjoyed. Um, that was who they were as a person. And then you got into the times that were, of course, the early times of 4chans, 8chans, and the, the, the unnamed, the anonymous trolls who basically just, you know, they, they took the opportunity of being able to, you know, express themselves more um, and be kind of really, you know, um, that type because they could be somebody else on the internet. Um, for me, it was really, you know, and, and countries, you know, governments have always been somewhat, propaganda is nothing new. It's been around, you know, for the times where they were, you know, dropping it in pigeons and, you know, you know dropping leaflets uh, for over the, you know, the hundreds of years uh, to try and just, you know, get their message across. What really surprised me was that when you get into the internet research company or the, the troll factory itself, was that it really became actually a, a agency. It was there in order to actually have a specific agenda. It wasn't citizens taking up their own kind of, let's say, passion or their own agenda or their own kind of influence. It really became an organization, became a, a, a employment it became part of actually of what it was actually its goal and strategy was to do. Well, it was first done internally and then moved internationally. And that really got me, that got me scared because, you know, the danger, I remember back, you know, watching a lot of DEF CON conferences and um, that, you know, information and data is basically, you know, that is what can change the outcome of many things is that if you can modify, change it, it can really have a big influence. And this became a data manipulation, really kind of, you know, factory. Um, one thing that I always got in my mind was, is, is was it a, I mean, is it 100% state-sponsored? Is it something that is just purely a government-only? Or is it like a Cambridge Analytica-style information, you know, warfare type of where it's about who's going to pay the most money for them to do that service? Is it an agency that's up for basically to, to hire? Or is it more kind of influenced from a government? Kind of, where, where does that agency stand? Um, that was also what I was wishing to find out when I went there. Uh, before uh, I went there, there was mostly rumors and, you know, this hearsay talking that this place is probably governed by the FSB, the Russian Internal Security Service, the very infamous security service. Um, but then it was difficult to prove. And also some Russian journalists had already dug into the connections who was uh, owning it and who was um, participating in it was uh, one guy, called, you know, nicknamed Putin's chef, who is also an insider in Putin's regime. Um, but still, there there hasn't been, you know, this, you know, bulletproof, super 100% proof that it's the FSB who is uh, controlling it. But I will tell you what we found. It was so interesting. They have the stupidest security guard in the history of mankind working there. Because you know what happened? When me and uh, our really great Russian uh, stringer was filming outside the factory, just outside the main exit and entrance, we were taking photos and such. It was the second day there. And the security guard uh, came out 
from inside the factory and started yelling at us. And I was, of course, filming it uh, and recording it. And he was yelling, girls, you have to leave or else I will call the police. Or can't you see this is a regime is done. So an administrative building. Mm-hmm. So in Russia, uh, administrative buildings, they are what, what it says, you know, yeah. they are especially secured by the Russian legislation. Actually, it's some kind of presidential decree and they are some types of, you know, security structures such as police stations or nuclear power plants or yeah. military bases or something. So this guy told it, you know, he wouldn't have to say it, but he just right. said it. So yeah. he kind of slipped it what we were, you know, looking for. So thanks I for I think him. my biggest disappointment is that they didn't call themselves the Ministry of Truth. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, that would have been brilliant. <laughs> I think that's what the UK's uh, <laughs> factories called. <laughs> so, so we were talking about your story, and one of the things you know. So, I, I, you know, obviously in prep for this, I read a little bit about you, and and um, so one of the things that I thought was fascinating was your own personal, how this all sort of what happened and and your own personal role that, you know, and how this impacted your life, because, you know, obviously, you know, investigating the troll factory, I'm sure they they respected your boundaries and and stayed away from you. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want how much you want to talk about that or or not, but, you know, I think that's a fascinating aspect of the, Mm -hmm. of the story as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, like a couple of days after the publication of my very first articles, I started to receive hateful phone calls and hateful messages in Russian language from places like Russia, Kazakhstan, uh, even Ukraine. Uh, There was, for example, one phone call uh, coming from a Ukrainian number in which there was only the sound of a shooting gun. So, but what was... uh, um, put in these messages was really alarming because people were truly angry at me. They were so upset. They were so disappointed. They were telling me that I should be put to jail and I should be, um, I am, I'm a pig and I'm, I should, you know, die and all this stuff. And I was thinking, where is this coming from? Like, really? So then I found that there was a string of uh, Russian fake news mm-hmm. uh, being Um, put Mm -hmm. out there in Russian fake news media. And so I realized, you know, there are these people now reading these stories uh, which are fake. So in the stories, it was claimed that I am famous assistant of American and Baltic security services or special services, and that I am gathering an illegal database of Putin supporters. So just fake information was being out there and I was being framed as a criminal and people became angered by it. And that is the basic what is happening. What we're seeing is happening in so many different Mm -hmm. countries. There is so much fake information now that people become agitated by it. And then they go into the streets and do uh, really aggressive, stupid things. So that that is what is why disinformation and Russian trolls pose a threat to Mm -hmm. seriously to national securities but also then to me personally. So that then continued and still continues. So this is over six years now. And uh, where this originally came, this fake information, this is also so interesting. Um, it's actually uh, connected to, to Estonia too uh, and to bronze soldier clashes in Estonia mm-hmm. because the same guy who put out this fake information about me works for the Kremlin and wow. works uh, in Moscow in 
Putin's think tank, mm. and uh, which later was exposed of designing the whole troll and hacking and fake news operation against the U.S. elections in 2016. So he had a motive there uh, also. So, um, yeah, so what to say, you know, (laughs) you know, it's there is just no limit to what I am subjected to. Right. And it's it's the whole interest. I mean, it it sucks, right? Because, I mean, obviously it sucks. Your your personal story, it sucks that that happened to you. I'm sorry for that. Um, Thanks. And I think the fact that you can have um, just sort of the asymmetric, you know, the asymmetric aspect of an individual trying to you know, speak truth to power, and then right, this huge apparatus that can just sort of be turned against any individual, and then turn you into a cautionary tale that's probably suppressing other journalists and other people from like, you know, what I'll go do a different story. I don't need to deal with that. And so it definitely has that silencing effect, and and um, you know, it's um, I'm. I'm glad people like you exist and stand up and, and do these investigations and, and look into these things. Really. Getting getting through the, the truth and transparency. That's really what you know we need as, as citizens to know what's really happening in the background. A question I've, I've got, Jessica, because one of the things is that, you know, this still, you know, trolling in our industry and in security industry is a major problem. And there's a lot of people out there that really take, um, you know, people who's really doing a lot of good in the industry and they're, you know, saying a lot. And they're, they're, they're very outspoken. They're very direct. And they're sharing their experiences, and they become really these targets of of massive trolling. Mm-hmm. Um, for you, did was there a lot of support that you know was the community, the government, and other news organizations? Was there was there much support for you um, during that time? Yes, there has been basically every step of the way. Uh, what I did as a counter reaction mm-hmm. was that I started to publish information about this on my own social media, and quickly. Uh, people came to help and people came to rescue and people offered me a mirror and they were telling, you know, this is all just this Russian propaganda and this is just smear campaign against you. You should maybe file criminal complaints and mm-hmm. you're fine. Please continue your job. So this is the type of community that even grows and continues to grow today. And I'm really thankful for it. And all, all of this that you are doing now is also uh, a you know, counter methods of how to counteract this, especially what what Mike said about silencing Mm -hmm. effect. So uh, it's important to bring these stories to light. I completely agree. But then um, uh, I didn't expect any, for example, support from the government because I'm a journalist. I work for the people. I am independent. But what I have received... uh, you know, in a, in a kind of a way from the Finnish government has been excellent police investigations into these cases, as well as the whole, you know, justice system that has supported me along the way. And there are so many cases in the Finnish justice system uh, about this, but they have just really done a great job. And even this guy who works for the Gremlin, at least he worked back then, um, he has also been convicted. Well, that's great. And I think that's really important because I know I remember having, you know, here in Estonia a few years ago, we've had a lot of discussions around misinformation and propaganda. And every time there's an election, you know, and literally every time there's an election, around whether it being local elections, government elections, European Parliament elections, whatever it might be, is that then the, the trolling six months to nine months before just accelerates and elevates. And it's not even that it's it's you know coming from externally. It also comes with from within. The, you're, you're mentioning is that you do get these passionate followers 
who really kind of become zombies or become bots off off the trolling. And I remember, you know, earlier that it was, uh, I think it was last year actually, we did this hacking democracy uh, hackathons, and one of the actually the the groups actually did an algorithm, and they actually took a, a, a snapshot of point in time of all of the comments on news feeds and articles and and social media posts, and they took it all up, and we tried to see what it was center, you know, type of uh, communication, whether it was a little bit left, a little bit right. We were trying to figure out where it was. And we did find that actually, when you went to the very extreme side of things of comments, that we actually were able to trace it down to actually a single person. It, it, it's, really? it's really that fundamental is that 95% of all of the comments and posts were coming mm. from one individual. And that individual had many identities, had many different personas, many different things, and they were just there to accelerate. And it got me into questions that is that person really, uh, I mean, are they being funded? Are they being paid? Or is it just to really have a lot of time to, to spend on this? Um, and it gets into is do, do you think that in these scenarios that, you know, there is people within countries that are actually being funded in order to accelerate this, in order to create the trends, whether they're paying for local advertising or whether they're paying for ads and social media platforms? Do you see this as something as an operation that's not just being centrally you know, operated from within the troll factory, but actually has moved into operations within countries? This is an uh, excellent uh, question, which I have also tried to pay attention to, because it's quite obvious that um, the Russian troll factory, mm-hmm. the one that has been exposed, uh, is not the only one mm-hmm. uh, that exists, and it's not the only form of troll factories. Uh, and what seems to be the goal is for the Russian security services who are basically uh, controlling these activities is that they use these so-called proxy operators. So proxy operators in a way that, so that they can tidy up and clean up the Russian fingerprints from these operations. So they specifically are interested in public social media influencers uh, outside Russia who they could bribe or threaten or pay to work for them. And there has been findings even in the USA where some uh, YouTubers have been working for uh, Russia uh, as basically a troll and have been removed from uh, YouTube. And um, similar cases like that also elsewhere. Also, uh, it seems that it's so cynical, this whole operation. For example, uh, Russian security services run operations in Africa. So, you know, uh, there, for example, they are also helping and teaching some African um, powerful elite to attack the citizens and using the same methods as the trolls. So the spread of fake information and fake news on social media. So uh, what is happening is that they are, you know, teaching this stuff here and there. And some people pick up, some people even want to do it without any money, free of charge. Because as you were telling about these trolls, um, this is a form, you know, normalizing this type of behavior. It's kind of weaponizing people's, you know, this um, willingness to um, be nasty to other people. So there are some personalities who really love and enjoy doing uh, this kind of stuff. Right. They just right. They just enjoy getting a rise out of people, regardless of whether they believe it or not. And yeah. right. So being yeah. able to take advantage of people who want to do that. And I, yeah, I, I think um, you guys were talking. I was, you know, um, 
the the idea of being able to monetize and make it into not just a propaganda factory, but also make money that you can reinvest in and through YouTube and through any number of other sort of platforms um, is an interesting one as well. Just, um, you know, there's probably people who just sort of see it as a business opportunity, regardless of just forget about the get a rise out of people. I can also make money doing this, like, you know, and um, just it's, it's an interesting combination of, uh, of factors. Yeah, let, let me tell you one thing. Um, I found from the Finnish YouTube, there are YouTubers who like follow and stalk and stream without permission and harass people and make false claims and smear and make so many mm-hmm. uh, communications crimes against Finnish police and journalists and other people. So they have these channels, which are always taken down one by one, but then they put out new ones. And... Uh, they also have advertisements in their channels. So you should have hear, heard the reaction that I received when I start calling to these companies. This Finnish normal, you know, your everyday like telephone companies and right. operators. They were oh, really... They, they had no know. idea who they were sponsoring? They didn't know. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. So because they use media companies who are somehow under-resourced. Well, or, yeah, I mean, I... Um, the whole way internet ads work is this very convoluted chain of bid, like <laughs> millisecond bidding systems and other things. So it's possible that you don't even know where your ad is, is showing up. It's, it's, it's difficult to control at times. And um, space, space bidding, you're bidding just for a moment of time and space. Right. Yep. Um, so. Yeah. I did some work in the, in that space uh, a while ago and it was, it was fascinating to learn how that all worked and how yeah. like, right. How does, how do you end up advertising on a site that you had no intention of advertising on or, or supporting? Not, you know, it's, it'd be good to have some good filtering in place that you don't support something you're not intending to. Right. So Jessica, one of the things that you mentioned as well, is I think it was reflected as me. Uh, I remember, you know, as you mentioned, Estonia, one of the things that during, I think it was the European Parliament, there was a lot of trolling. And I even remember that... Um, that I think it was one of the politicians here was put on basically the wanted list, <laughs> the Interpol, and actually you know create a lot of influence, a lot of challenges. That all of a sudden now you're on a, basically an Interpol's wanted list, um, and and when you're especially going through elections, that can cause a lot of challenges. Travel, you end up you know you can get arrested in other countries if you're on that list. Right. Now one of the things is that you know in um, the law enforcement side of things, I think it was important that you mentioned that you got. Those get into investigations from a police perspective and prosecution and legal side if they are you know breaking local laws. And I remember speaking with the government officials here is that one thing is they can't influence what's in the media press because they can't you know in Western countries they can't be seen to to interfere with media with that's a, a boundary that they're not allowed to cross. But it's great to hear that at least from a police investigation side if there is a law being broken that they will get in, in investigating into that. What do you recommend though? You know, a lot of this, you know, there's things, of course, those influencers or those uh, uh, trolls that are within country. What about the cross-border side of things? Have you seen any type of, uh, let's say, uh, approach or any type of influence in trying to prevent it from being cross-border internationally? Um, sorry, can you please somehow rephrase that? So, or? so the, the obviously government's trying to, let's say, if you've got um, trolling that's happening from another country, let's say mm-hmm. from coming from Ukraine, has right. or the provider stepped up and tried to intervene or tried to do something, especially if it is something that's breaking a law within mm. the country? Unfortunately, I don't think I can recollect any that type of activities. Um, 
about these counteractivities, um, one example would be that, for example, Ukraine shut down whole Vekontakte, um, the Russian equivalent of Facebook, or you know, stopped and blocked mm-hmm. it from use in Ukraine because it <laughs> it cited it's used for Russian information warfare and it needs to be blocked uh, for attacks against Ukrainians. So that type, and then what else? Some Baltic countries have also shut down access to Russian propaganda sites such as mm-hmm. Sputnik, and then. Um, But then, let me think. I don't really recollect. Mm. So it's more, more in basically blocking blocking the access rather than yes. trying to do anything yeah. like I um, said. Oh, so. one thing also, I need to um, bring this up because it was quite interesting. Even during Trump's era, um, who was of course promoted and lobbied uh, by the Russian trolls and Russian propaganda machinery, there was interesting operation done. Uh, maybe you saw it in the news. Uh, by the cyber command uh, with um, signature from Mr. President Trump attacking the Russian troll factory uh, during the midterm elections 2018 because troll factory was also then trying to impact and influence the U.S. population. So they shut down the troll factory. Um, they blocked it from internet completely for one day. At least that's what they told the publicity. So that was quite interesting. So, so, question: What what, do you, what is your recommendation, recommendations, and you know, moving forward in, into this, is that it really gets into challenging because you know, I think one thing we've seen in the least the you know the really you know the recent elections in the U.S. where social media platforms have really stepped up and tried to intervene, they tried to label content, which is for me is is for, one of my recommendations is always about is that the platforms are accountable and responsible. That's ultimately, is they're, they're accountable and responsible for all the ads and all the content. They're not a, in regards to, you know, they should be treated such as a media organization, you know, especially if they're editing and moderating and changing um, and filtering and classification. Therefore, they need to have some type of, let's say, context or source of trust into everything that's displayed and actually some labeling. And they have stepped up and they did do a lot of that type of activity Do you think that they need to do more, or they need to be somehow, you know, what, what do you recommend from the social side of things? Because it is social media that is the main platform to, for for doing this. What are your recommendations? What should you for from you know going forward? Thank you so much for bringing this up because we are at the core of the problem here. So um, I've seen them as the enablers of yeah. the uh, Russian information warfare, as well as many other bad actors. But from my point of view, most importantly. Uh, they are the ones who give the space and channels to the information soldiers uh, attacking us. And they are not doing enough in any front uh, confronting this. And we have seen um, so many um, accounts from former, uh, both Facebook and Twitter employees who have told that, that they were in charge of security or they tried to be in charge of security there. And they tried to tell and bring this up already early on, uh, but they were rejected within the companies and more resources was put uh, only to build growth and not mm-hmm. to build uh, customer security. So mm-hmm. what you said about the labels is completely correct also. Um, we have to see these uh, platforms as really faulty products. They are basically in consumer use being super faulty, super harmful, poisonous, dangerous. Think about, you know, children who are using these products. And there are seriously kids who 
they don't have any warning labels telling mm-hmm. them that this might be harmful, this might be violent, this, you know, maybe you shouldn't watch this without the permission or, you know, right. uh, without being with your parents. But it's happening. And Zuckerberg, the CEO and founder of Facebook, has told himself that he really doesn't know how to handle this. Um, I mean, they were just testifying before Congress uh, the other night. Uh, I was listening to it on my way home because um, that's I'm that person who listens to C-SPAN, <laughs> um, the one. Um, so, uh, and it was interesting to hear them because, right, that was the question because um, they because there's st- the election's not over in the U.S. There's the what's happening the, in Georgia. It never is will gonna, be. This election right, the, will never be over. Well, no, not just that. There's the Senate race that's going to, you know, there's the the special election that's happening in Georgia and oh. coming up. And that's it actually going to have a huge impact on the makeup of uh, Congress in the U.S. And so, you know, you have a very, I mean, like, what a great target, right? Like you have a small population, very easy thing to influence. Um, and it's going to have a huge impact on U.S. policy potentially, um, depending on how you impact it, mm-hmm. and so um, and so yeah. So they were talking about like what did, what steps are you guys taking now? What are you doing? And they and and basically the answer is oh we're going to do the same things that we did we did for the current election. And it's like well that's not quite enough, <gasps> right? I mean and and they right they're just at a total loss because I think at the heart of it, as someone who's you know is a technologist and you know not a security person, but if I put on my business hat, there's no money in me resourcing the security and privacy and true, you know, the, the fact checking and the rest of it, that really that's only going to come from either congressional oversight of some sort and, and, and say, you know, or, um, or individuals deciding we're not going to use these platforms because they're just, I can't know. I don't know what to trust and what not to trust. And maybe there's some, you know, some platform that can actually, get started and you know in my in my um fantasy life there's some platform that's going to start that where that's like the foundation of it is like hey it's truthful and mm-hmm. everything's validated and verified but um and people migrate to that but it's never going to happen and so i think the only way is for congress or governments in general to act and hold these companies accountable come up with fines and other things i don't want the government deciding exactly what content should and shouldn't be seen but they need to come up with standards and practices i mean it goes all the way back in the us i grew up on saturday morning cartoons there were certain things that you could not advertise saturday mornings during cartoons it's 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 not rocket science it solves problems it's just it's just at a much larger scale and it just need you know and we have the technology we have things that we can use to to put towards it it's just that there's no money in doing it right now. And so that's, that's always what motivates, you know, that's the problem with the capitalist society is uh, money is what motivates uh, the, the business decisions and, and, and the priorities. Exactly. But I'm still wondering, how is it possible that after all these years and after, for example, the special counsel Mueller investigations about the interference uh, against the U.S. elections by Russia before 2016 elections conducted through social media, partly as well as uh, by the troll factories, how still, when we learned back then so much uh, of how these trolls exploit these platforms and how these platforms generate this profit and mm-hmm. how 126 million Americans were touched by Russian trolls on Facebook before those elections mm-hmm. and how sophisticated, seriously, you have to give the Russians credit for it, how brilliantly yeah. managed operations those were. And already then, 
after after the you know the elections had happened and the milk had been spilled, uh, already then Facebook and Twitter they were confronted by the Congress and they were asked why we're taking rubles and you know but again how long can they sit you know in these hearings without doing nothing basically because Congress is totally and the U.S. Congress is just completely blocked up. I mean they can't do their they have no actual like they don't have enough of any one side to make any real change. And the Senate is, you know, this deliberative body. They're designed to be slow moving and deliberative. Um, Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's mind boggling at the same time. You know, I, you know, at the risk of like getting into conspiracy theory. Right. But you trace the money. I mean, imagine uh, there's a number of those people in government who get funded by companies like Facebook and, you know, that their campaigns are financed by these big technology giants and there's, there's strong lobbies and there's, it's, it's always about money. And so I think that there's, there's enough people in Congress who, you know, don't, don't have the incentive to act. Yeah. So, so Jesse, I have, I have a question for you as well, is that, so we, we've known about the St. Petersburg and the troll factory for a long time now. Is there other countries and other troll factories that are, you know, appearing and upcoming. And for me, I, I I mean, I do consider Cambridge Analytica as a troll factory. You know, that was part of the trolling. Um, it may have been a different mechanism. It may have been a company for hire rather than state-sponsored. But when you're receiving money from, from a government, I do consider it state-sponsored and irrespective of how the funding happens. Um, so I do consider a Cambridge Analytica as a trolling style. It was an information gathering and information um, kind of manipulation. Have you seen other examples globally that's started up or anything you've been seeing in an international stage? This was also something that fascinated me already since the get-go. And so already back then I asked uh, experts, uh, how about other countries? And at least back then the Mm -hmm. experts were saying that uh, also, for example, China, Israel Mm -hmm. are doing this, but they are not nearly as aggressive as uh, the Russians. And also we are hearing really alarming reports from, uh, well, you can say Chinese troll factory, mm-hmm. uh, attacking people, attacking individuals, spreading fake news, spreading political propaganda mm-hmm. also on social media. So they are ramping up uh, mm-hmm. and probably learning from uh, Russians as well. But then also the Israelis have been super uh, aggressive, but their influencing and their operations, they have been more local, more localized. Mm-hmm. Stealthy. And more targeted to their own own citizens, so yeah. it's and not more, stealth, more stealthy. They they are really good at staying under the radar. With Russia, tends to make a lot more noise. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, um, and that gets me. So one of the things is you know I agree. China has been, but China's done it in a very different approach. Um, what they end up doing is that they create like for like social platforms, and then they censor directly in the platforms. Which is for me is that. I wasn't really worried about the the data collection. I was more worried about how they are actually censoring internationally. It's about, you know, there's one thing about censoring within your own country, within your laws. But when you're censoring content that is in other countries that other citizens are using, that for me is is the where you're getting into trolling and you're getting into manipulation of data. Yes, so. definitely. Yeah. So I want to move on to, you did, uh, you know, you know highly get recognized you got that what was it the um you know courage awards and you know for your bravery because what you did was very brave i mean it's something that you know really you know it's something to stand up against you know 
a major operation that has a lot of influence and a lot of powerful people behind it um, that can, you know, make a, a lot of challenges. And, uh, you know, you were very brave in what you did and, and courageous and you did receive a reward. Can you tell us? Well, nominated for, I believe. No, nominated. I, uh, <laughs> from the citizen <laughs> perspective, you got the award. Um, irrespective of if you have a trophy behind you or not, um, you know, you, it's a citizen. You know, we, we, do, right. we do see as, as being, you know, a recipient and you have, have got it, but whether or not it's been stamped properly. Yeah, so in paper, I was awarded uh, with the United States State Department's uh, diplomats, really highly recognized, basically human rights award called International Women of Courage. Uh, and they give out this award to 10 uh, females around the world who have been making positive impact and who have shown leadership and all mm-hmm. these, you know, beautiful things. And the top diplomats in the U.S. had already, you know, it all was set. Everything was good to go. I was invited and I was supposed to go to D.C. for award ceremony. And I had a program and I had to cancel my you know, previous program in Finland of being able to travel. But then uh, around 10 days before I was supposed to leave, to take off in a plane, I was um, informed that I will not get the award. And soon uh, enough, the foreign policy paper, uh, they reported that it was rescinded, cancelled, because they said of my social media posts critical of Donald Trump, the president of the United States. So then there was an investigation which actually um, confirmed those original reports. And yeah, that's it then. So <laughs> so I didn't go I didn't go to the award uh, in which Melania Trump would have given me the award. And I also didn't travel to DC and instead I was actually attacked by a Russian troll factory in the aftermath of this uh, um, oh, wow. German. Continues. But, but as we said, you know, you that know, was my award. Recording, for all, you know, for all we know, the, the fact that you didn't get the award probably brought it to, to higher prominence. Like they probably did more to sort of highlight it. The, I, I think there's probably more notoriety around the mm-hmm. that backstory of like being, you know, nominated and then not, you know, than having it rescinded. Um, probably got you more noticed by more people. So sort of probably oh, backfired yeah. on the Trump administration and whoever else was involved in, in deciding that. Yeah. yeah, I really hope so. And I'm so I, happy. The, the U.S. press is so lovely because uh, you guys then supported me so much and gave so mm-hmm. much, uh, so, so much um, uh, notion to my work. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. It was really best award. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that hopefully our listeners and pretty sure there's a few governmental listeners out there. Maybe at some point in time that could change with a new administration in place. <laughs> so <Right>. you never <laughs> know. <laughs> so, um, but I th- I, yeah, I think it's, you know, for me, I, I think that it's important that leaders around the world have people that's around them that will challenge their, you know, that will question and ask them the tough questions and whether you like it or not. And I think it's really important, you know, that, you do have people around, you know, we've seen it many, many cases that, you know, if you surround yourself with people who do put you basically on the pillar and do challenge you to what you do and your actions, then it makes you accountable, makes you, you know, responsible, makes you a much better leader. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's something for me. I think it's, you know, what, what you're doing is, is speaking out is what we need. Um, we need more of. Um, you know, if I have too many people around me that just nods their heads and agree, it's not going to make me a better person. 
it's going to just make me more egotistic. Um, and I think that's that's what really allows us to be that reality check, is that those people around us will, will, will bring us back to earth and put us back into reality. And that's what's important. And I think, you know, I commend you for what you've done. And it's hopefully maybe something will change in the future. We'll see. Um, so yeah, you mean you have wrote a book on the subject? <laughs> so, right. Um, right. We've, we've totally avoided the yeah. I would you know I'd love for you to you know, talk about the book a little bit and um, where people can get it and what's it you know? Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Oh, definitely. So Putin's trolls, true stories from the front lines of Russian information warfare. It's actually a collection of stories of uh, people who became target for Russian crimes and Russian security service stalking, as well as fake news campaigns, just like myself. So these are Western people uh, who live outside Russia's borders, who are being intimidated and harassed by uh, Russian security service, who had their, for example, career destroyed, international media frenzies created, for example, after Russian security services tapped phone calls of diplomats and then edited and made fake video videos, put them to YouTube and created chaos in three different countries. Uh, also, so many, uh, let's say, for example, Norwegian journalists who then ended up having to take the FSB to court. Of course, they lost all cases <laughs> right. uh, but, but in Russia. But um, these are people who brought out critical and important and factual uh, takes on Russian policies, on Russian aggressive policies, um, and who were revenged. And these people also are my friends, uh, because I started to get to know these people after I started to tell what has been happening to me. And so I started to meet them, I started to hear their stories, and I wanted to document those amazing stories. And they're now in my book. That's awesome. That's fantastic, and we'll definitely make sure. One of, one of the things that you know, we'll make sure, uh, Mike, that we'll make you know make it uh, links and uh, information about the book in the in the show notes, so that everyone knows where they can get a copy. And I think it's really important. And you know, for me, uh, just again, you know, you sharing your story with us and, and and with the audience, I'm really hoping that we're able to take this much further because I think it's really important that we get to the really you know the foundation of the core problem, and that we find ways in order to embrace you know technology for the good and not for the bad. And that we find ways in order to, let's say, you know, technology can help us solve this problem. We can make, make sure that people step up and see it as a problem. Because if we, ignore, if we continue to ignore it, it's going to be more problematic and it's going to polarize more countries. And it's going to make, make us, you know, stagnant and it's not going to allow us to innovate. And it's going to become people against people. And I think we really need to get all the good people out there to find ways forward in order to overcome this, this challenge. And it is a challenge that, and I think it's the foundational, you know, of, um, Recently, what, what was it, the social dilemma on, on Netflix? I think that was, for me, it was another realization that really resurfaced a lot of what we see on these platforms. And, you know, you know, we talk about, you know, oil, you know, data was the new oil. And for me, it's that, you know, time is, is the most valuable asset on earth. It's the, time, it's the time that we have. And the less that we waste time and trolls, for me, is wasting time. It's just basically attacking people and it's wasting time and not productive. And we need to make sure that we actually reduce that and eliminate as much as possible. So again, thank but you. Zuckerberg's experience, but yeah. Zucker, you know, the, the Facebook and the rest of them all say, you know, it's just algorithms, right? And I think <laughs> what we have to recognize is that, right, the Russians are re- like these trolls, whether it's Russia, China, whomever, are really smart at figuring out how to manipulate an algorithm to do what they want. So that defense is just, just a, a 
not a great one on its face because the problem is, right, if I can exploit a system to do this thing, you guys built the system, you guys have to figure out how Correct. to to adjust that system. And Mike, we, we've discussed that before right. with Joss. We, we have went, we went through exactly. that. <laughs> Kasparov didn't, didn't lose a game of chess. Right. He lost a game of algorithms. This is the point is that, you know, when you're complaining, you know, it's even go back to, to what was it, the DARPA program and the, uh, the fighter jets is that they were playing against basically uh, artificial intelligence. But at the end of the day, it's an algorithm. You're not, you're not basically, you know, it's the algorithm, which is the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, fix it, you know, find a way to, to solve it. Um, it's not to do with citizens having to make us, you know, responsible, accountable for basically the algorithm's faults. Um, and it all comes down to it. And, and those in power, those who have the capability of knowing how the algorithm works, can abuse it and abuse it to an advantage, whether it being economical, political, you know, even just basically, you know, out of <laughs> um, feud or, you know, spite. out of spite. Um, that, that, you know, those who know the algorithm can abuse it. And this is the important part is that many, many out there do know it, the algorithm and they are abusing it um, even today. And we have to find ways to make sure either, you know, there's, there's way to, to alternate that and, and make it a brighter, better future. So, but Jessica, you know, any, any final comments you want to say with the audience, anything that you think it's important for them to take away from this? Yes, I would love to tell, uh, I would like to actually add to what you just said um, about this political influence. One of the main things that I learned through my investigations was, you know, many people are asking, what is Russia's end goal? What is the Kremlin trying to do? So this is what I learned. Uh, With these trolling operations, uh, Kremlin's one goal is to cause regime changes. Because when they cause regime changes, they want to insert such leaders, for example, countries, uh, presidents, seats, who are beneficial to their own political gain. And we have to remember, who are the people in the Kremlin? They are Silovics. They are uh, powerful, uh, super rich, filthy rich people who have been with using corruption. They have basically stolen from Russian people and they have stolen the national oil and everything. So this is the type of people that you don't want to pick your presidents because it will only bring you harm. So this is what we're dealing with. This is not just, you know, some, you know, false news being spread uh, somewhere on social media. Like this is real politics. And I am I have been terrified to see what type of um, um, individuals and characters the Kremlin has been promoting and the Kremlin's propaganda machinery. It is Donald Trump. It is, you know, far right. It is pro-neo-Nazis. It is, you know, extremists. So this is not the type of, um, for example, Europe that we want to see in the future. Uh, completely. I, I agree. And it's something, you know, those that are close to it, you know, in not so recent past is that, you know, we want to learn from experiences. We don't want to go back to those times. We want to embrace and move forward. Um, so absolutely, that's it's not a place we want to go back to. Because while some things were good, uh, it, Today is much better, and hopefully tomorrow will be even better if we keep moving forward. So again, thank you, Jessica. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Mike, always you know fun uh, having the discussion with you, and and uh, it's been awesome. And I think you know the audience is going to really going to learn a lot from this. And I think this is probably a foundation for them even to go and find more information resources to help them learn more about you know how dangerous uh, this can be, and also how you know impactful it can be personally, not just you know um, in in, in career wise. So again, Jessica, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. It's been awesome uh, for the audience. Hopefully this will be educational and it will make you think more about social media and really start really looking into and, and learning more about what the truth is behind things. 
and not just what you see in two seconds in advertisements. So thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Take care and catch us up every two weeks on the 401 Access Tonight podcast and look forward to seeing you in the future. Thank you. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrae for Business by going to www.cybrae.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Thycotic, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit www.thycotic.com.